Matthew chapter 11, let's look at verse, um, verses 1 through 6, okay? Verses 1 through 6. And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto him, Go and show unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning, and, and I thank you for the opportunity we have to spend some time looking at your word. The fact that we can just come to a school where we can do this is really a blessing uh, bigger than we can even comprehend. So many students in our youth group right now are at schools where they're being taught evolution, where friends of theirs are having abortions, and people across the aisle away from their locker are selling drugs and cursing. So many of our students that go to our church have to uh, worry about uh, gang fights and, and being picked on for their race or their color or their, uh, their accent. So many of them have to worry about who they hang around and have to try to stand for the faith and keep their own faith strong while they're being taught all kinds of other philosophies of life. And, and yet we get to be here today. We get to be around other Christians. We get to sing. We get to hear these senior guys sing in this quartet we get to open your word and read it and it's just a great great blessing help us to never take for granted the fact that our parents and others are sacrificing so that we can do what we're going to do right now and i pray that you would uh, teach us and grow us this morning in in your word and we ask it in jesus name amen you can be seated i'm going to ask a couple of you guys on the front row come grab these outlines and hand them out for me if you would um in fact let's do like four of you Hand them down the, uh, hand them down the rows. We're going to talk about doubts today. I had a couple. I've got three, three or four chapel messages, and and uh, and this was the one the Lord just kind of put on my heart to, to to talk to you about today. Do you ever doubt? You're going to get your outline, and it's going to say dealing with doubts, dealing with doubts. I want to tell you the story about this, uh, the background of what we just read, and then I want to. Uh, to, to get into the outline for a few minutes. <clears throat> how many of you, be honest with me, how many of you have ever doubted, let's say, your salvation? Raise your hand if you've doubted your salvation. My, both my hands are up. Okay. How many of you ever doubted um, if the Bible's really true? Raise your hand if you've ever doubted that. We're going to make a list in a minute of things we tend to doubt, but all, every one of us deals with doubt. When we read this story in John chapter 11, there's a lot of background that brings a lot of light or sheds a lot of light on the story we just read, okay? You've heard the name John the Baptist, and if you go way back, uh, how was John the Baptist, uh, how did he come into being? You guys remember the story? What was his dad's name? Zechariah. And what was his mom's name? Elizabeth. What was his dad's vocation? What did, what did Zechariah do? He was a priest, right? And you guys remember the story where he's going in to atone for the sins of the people and present the offering, and, and what happens while he's in there? Remember who, what he saw? Yeah, an angel appeared unto him, and what did the angel of God tell him was going to happen? What was that? He's going to have a baby? Somebody say he's going to have a baby? That would have made me speechless, too. <laughs> I'm going to have a baby. Um, the angel came and said, now he's old, by the way, and his wife is old. And um, the angel comes and says, you're going to have a child. You're going to have a son. And he's going to be, and we call John the Baptist the, the what of the Messiah. Anybody remember the word? The forerunner. What does forerunner mean? 
Somebody, somebody raise your hand and give me the word, give me a definition. Kyle? Very good. The person that runs before. So from, now, now think with me. Before John the Baptist was even born, I mean, before really his mother even knew she had conceived him, before he was even conceived, God says, I'm going to make a man, I'm going to create a human being, and his name's going to be John, and I'm going to give him to Zachariah and Elizabeth. And by the way, Elizabeth was, how was she related to Mary? Cousin, right? You guys are confusing me now. Cousin. <coughs> and um, he says, I'm going to give him, I'm a, and John is going to have one calling, one sole purpose for, for existing. He's going to be the forerunner. He, God didn't say those words. He's going to be, he's going to go before and prepare a way for Jesus. He's going to get people ready. He's going to go and preach to, to the nation of Israel and tell them the Messiah is coming. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is about to be presented to you. Get ready. And so John had one, and by the way, this is a sideline note, but you need to note, if God gave John the Baptist a purpose, and if God made him for a purpose, God made you for a purpose. Just like John the Baptist had a, had a reason for living and a reason for existing, so do you. And, and, and you've got to discover that calling and that purpose from God, just like John the Baptist did. When John the Baptist was in seventh grade or fifth grade, I, was, I, I can't wait to get to heaven. And one of the things I'm going to look forward to, to finding out is how did Jesus and John the Baptist in their, in their childhood and teenage years, number one, how did they interact? Did they, you know, did they go... Th- did they go play together? Did they play hide-and-seek together? Did they, did they throw the ball? Did they play basketball? I mean, what did they do together? You know, they, they, I know they were friends. You know that Mary knew that John the Baptist was the, was the one who had prepared the way for her son. And you knew that Elizabeth knew that Mary's son was the Messiah. So here you've got this, this what's the movie of what, the Fantastic Four? Is that the movie with these you know, superhero guys? Is that it? You know, here you've got the Fantastic Two. You have John the Baptist, given by God to be the forerunner of Christ, and you have God in the flesh, and there are five or six. You don't think about that. You don't think Jesus being seven. And, and how did he interact with John the Baptist? Did they practice preaching to each other? <laughs> you know, did, did, did they know? You know? And how did they find, how did they discover, and I've heard lots of theories about it, and lots of thoughts, and really the Bible doesn't really tell us how or when John or Jesus found out who they were, or if it was something that just gradually, you know, was Jesus, was Jesus in his cradle going, I'm God, I know I'm God, and I'm going to grow up and preach. I don't think so. I think there was a process by which he discovered it or figured it out, or God showed it to him or revealed it to him. You know, could he, we know that when he started his miracles, but could he do miraculous stuff when he was six? I'm kind of being a little facetious here, because he probably didn't, probably Probably didn't even realize he could. He certainly wouldn't have abused his power. It's not like he'd been blowing stuff up on, you know, with John, you know. I mean, but it's kind of fun to, to in your mind, imagine, here's God in the flesh as a little boy growing up with a family and a life and a culture and really not a whole lot different than you as a little boy or as a child growing up, learning how to talk and learning how to walk and learning how to how to just, just live, and, 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 and then you've got this, this cousin, or this second cousin, or whatever that would be, a cousin once removed, or whatever that is. I kind of lose track after the first tier. Never learned all the distant relative, you know, acronyms and stuff. But how did, did they get along, and how did they get along, and how did they interact together, and at what point did, I just know they were good friends. They had to have been. And, and, and before Jesus started his ministry, John started his ministry. And John started going out and preaching. And he would have known that Jesus was perfect. He would have known that Jesus never sinned. He would have, been, he would have grown up with Jesus and seen him and, and experienced him and known him very well personally before Jesus ever started his ministry. That just kind of blows my mind. And that's a part, the Bible is real silent about, and I'm really looking forward to getting to heaven and finding out about that part of Jesus' life and John the Baptist's life and their relationship. And so here, here the, way, the way it unfolds is John basically begins his ministry and starts preaching repentance and preaching the kingdom of God and preaching the gospel and preaching, you know, the Messiah is coming, get your heart right, get your life right, get ready, uh, make a way, you know, and, and we can read about that in the Bible. And, and we know that John was baptizing a lot of disciples and a lot of people were listening to John, a lot of people were being awakened and revived and 
we're coming back to God and we're, we're essentially getting saved, you might put it. We, we, we say it that, that way now. They wouldn't have said it then that way. But they were coming to Christ, even though they didn't know who Christ was. In fact, the Bible says there's, there's some men in the book of Acts that the disciples run across. This was after Jesus has come and gone now. He's, he's resurrected and ascended. And these guys have been out preaching, get ready for the Messiah, he's coming, he's coming. They've been preaching John's message, and they were baptized by John, and they meet up with the disciples. It's a pretty cool story. It's a really small story, but if you think about all that would have happened around it, you've got to think behind the scenes of the Bible. You've got to think of the bigger picture of things. But these, the disciples, it come, they, they cross paths with these guys that have been baptized by John, and it's sent out by John to go preach that the Messiah was coming. And here they are, you know, Five years later, they meet up with the disciples, and, and the disciples go, um, he came. And they're like, he did? Yeah, he's gone. He's and, 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 they, and then they tell him to get, to get baptized again and start preaching the message of Christ. You know? And I mean, can you imagine going out? It would be like, like these Japanese guys that they find holed up in caves 50 years later. Hey, the war's over. It is, you, know, you lost. And, and they still think World War II is on, you know. These guys were out preaching that the Messiah was coming. And here he'd already been crucified and resurrected, and, and they were just out doing their jobs. And then, so they got baptized in the name of Christ and went out preaching the message of Christ. That, I think that's a pretty cool story. John, though, think about it. At one point, Jesus comes to John, and he's baptizing where? In the Jordan River, okay? And Jesus is going to get baptized, right? You guys remember this story? And what? So Jesus comes down, and John says, Behold, the Lamb of God, this, this, is the, this is his whole job in life. I mean, this is why God made him. I mean, this is the whole reason that he was ever conceived is so he could stand in front of these people and say, that is the Savior of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. And he says, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. I'm not even worried to un, worthy to un, unlatch his sandals. And Jesus comes down, and he has John baptize him. What happens after Jesus got baptized. What does the Bible say happened? Okay. The Holy Spirit in the form of a what? A dove descended. And then what happened? Now imagine, put yourself there. You're standing on the banks of the Jordan River. You've been baptized by John. You've been listening to his message. You've been expecting the Messiah. All of a sudden Jesus comes and John says, this is him. This is the one I've been talking about. And you're there watching Jesus get baptized. And suddenly this bird comes flying down, lands on him. Uh, you know, I always wonder, is that, did, did it really happen that way? Or is it, is it you know, ha- again, I'd like to see that videotape. But then what happened that would have really just absolutely astounded you? Voice. The voice of God. And what did he say? You guys remember the quote? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So, Here's John the Baptist doing what he was made to do, what he's been called to do, baptizing the one that he knows very, very well. He's grown up with him. He knows he's perfect. He knows he's never sinned. He knows he's God in the flesh. After he baptized, he just told all these people, this is God's son, this is the Lamb of God. After he baptizes him, the Holy Spirit descends upon him, and the voice of God suddenly out of nowhere I want to know what that voice sounded like. Did it rumble? You know, did, did, did the trees shake? I mean, I want to know, did people get scared? Or was it this calm, soothing, loving voice that just enveloped them and made them just almost stand there speechless, not afraid, but just in wonderment? I mean, what was the response? What would your response have been if you'd been standing there all of a sudden this gigantic voice? Remember now, this was before sound systems and speakers and microphones there's not going to be any you know you, there's no option of you going okay where's the guy behind the tree speaking in the microphone okay there's just a voice out of heaven there's no question that this was supernatural that this was god speaking now now you're dealing when you read this chapter that we just read you're you're speaking you're reading about a man who was there who baptized jesus personally you're reading about a man who heard God's own voice say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So then Jesus begins his ministry, and John continues his ministry, and they kind of had for a little while this parallel in tandem thing going on, where John was preaching, the Lamb of God is here, the Messiah is here, you need to get right, you need to be baptized, you need to get 
come to the gospel and come to Christ and follow him. And Jesus began doing miracles and healing people and lives were being changed and he's teaching and, and I mean, he's just absolutely turning the world upside down in that region and his fame is spreading. And then, uh, you know, you read about it, all the feeding of the, of the multitudes and the calming of the storm and the raising of Lazarus. And we could go through the whole thing and recount it all. Well, here's what happens. John the Baptist, on one occasion, preaches. You guys probably know the story. He basically confronts Herod. You guys, uh, the, the teaching Bible, I, I didn't go back and read all this this morning, so tell me if I get the facts wrong. But he preaches to Herod, who had married his brother's wife. Is that it, Brother Hale? It basically committed immorality. He committed adultery, and John stood up against it. John said, you are, you're wicked, you're godless, you, you shouldn't be living this way. Everybody look up here. And, and, and he basically confronted this powerful, powerful ruler. And so, not long after that, this lady asks the king for John the Baptist's head on a what? On a platter, okay? And the king, he, didn't, he was political. He was a diplomat. He didn't really want to kill John the Baptist. He didn't like him either. Okay? But he made this promise in sort of a drunken moment of not really thinking, and it was in front of other people, and he had to kind of come through now that he made this promise. Anything up to half the kingdom, he said, I'll give to you. And she said, all I want is John the Baptist's head. Well, John the Baptist had followers, and even though John the Baptist was no friend of his, it was going to be a political mess. And, and so he find, binds John the Baptist up, puts him into prison. And this is right before John the Baptist is going to be so imagine that you're John the Baptist. All your life, listen girls, all your life, this has been your best friend, Jesus. And you've believed that he's the Messiah and he's God in the flesh. And you've got a gazillion memories of growing up together and your families being together. And then on top of that, you've got this life call that your whole purpose in life was to announce him, was to introduce him, basically, to the world. Your whole purpose was to stand up and say, this is the Messiah. Which, by the way, John, even though he died and was killed early in, in his life, really, he had fulfilled his purpose. He was on the planet to do what God wanted him to do, and God said, you're done now, come to heaven. That, that's the behind-the-scenes story. But from John's perspective, it, it didn't work out the way he had expected it to. I mean, this was just really getting started. He's looking forward to seeing the ministry of Jesus unfold and to seeing how this is all going to go and to being kind of the, the, uh, the MC of Jesus' ministry, if you will. He's the guy that's going to announce and introduce it and, and promote it and preach it. And, and uh, this was, this was kind of just getting started in John's mind. And now he finds himself in prison in a time of, of trial, in a time of discouragement. He never thought this was going to happen. Hey, listen. If, if God is your best friend and your job by his assignment is to endorse his ministry, you pretty well think you are invincible, right? I mean, think if you're John the Baptist, you're like, there's no way anything bad could happen to me. He's the Messiah. I'm his right-hand man. We're in this together. This is my job in life. He gave it to me. I'm invincible. Because God put me on a mission for him, with him, in this life. So in John's mind, he's got this, how it's all going to play out. He's got in his mind how he imagines it's going to go. And going to prison for pre... I mean, I imagine that's probably why he was so courageous to confront Herod. <laughs> you can't touch me. The Messiah is my boss and best friend. You can't mess with me. And I imagine that gave him great courage to do what God wanted him to do. But in his, in his own mind, this wasn't in the script. And now he's in prison. He's going, what's, what's wrong with this picture? I'm off my mission right now. I can't do what God made me to do. This isn't in my version of the story. And, and in John's mind, what's going on right now is a mistake. It's an anomaly. He doesn't get it. He, does, he didn't think he should be here right now. And by all human reasoning, we'd all sit there, if that's all we knew of the story, we'd go, yeah, this is, uh, 
And, and I'm, I imagine John sitting there going, okay, Lord, is there a plan B here? If, if you're really the Messiah, and God, if this really is my calling, why am I here? How did I end up here in this prison? And the guy, now, now here, connect the dots here, guys. The guy who heard God's voice is now sitting in a prison going, is this really true? Because if this is true, why am I here? And if this is true, if Jesus is really God, then how did he let me get here? And, and what if this is all, what if my whole life has been a deception? What if I've been wrong my whole, wake up, Jebri. What if I've been wrong my whole life? I mean, is this really true or not? And he's sitting there in this prison, and he's doubting. When you come to chapter 11, that's the story that's happened. Now, if you don't know that story, you just got a guy in prison asking a question. But that's why I say when you read the Bible, you got you to think about what you're reading and about the background of what led up to it. For you to open the book of, of Matthew to chapter, Matthew, right? For you to open Matthew to chapter 11 and just pick up out of nowhere and start reading, it would be like, you know, picking up a movie two-thirds of the way through. And the lines don't make sense, and the plot line doesn't tie in together, and you're wondering, who's this character, and where'd he come from, and what does he matter, and who's that guy? You ever tried to do that? You ever try to sit down, you know, two-thirds of the way through a movie, and someone you're, you know is sitting there watching it, they've watched the whole thing, and you start going, who's that guy? What is that? Where, why do you say that? What's going on? And then they're like, shut up. I'm trying to watch the movie. And you're like, but I don't understand what's going on. You agitate the person next to you. Sometimes you struggle with your time with God or with your Bible reading because that's what you're doing to yourself. You're picking up in the middle of something. You have no idea where the plot line is. And, and 10 minutes into it, you're going, I don't get it. Seems like a dumb story to me. And you, and you turn the movie off. I don't get it. You're not going to get the Bible if you don't understand the context, if you don't understand where it's coming from and what's happening. To understand this passage of Scripture, you have to know this is a, a man who was promised, who came to Zechariah and Elizabeth by the angel, who was given a call of God on his life, who grew up around Jesus, knowing Jesus, who knew Jesus was the Messiah, who started his ministry before Jesus, preached all, and then was sent there when God's voice spoke. You've got to know all that stuff. Why? Simply this. If John the Baptist doubted, if John the Baptist doubted, then I guarantee you every single other Christian on the planet is going to doubt. If John the Baptist could sit in prison, having seen and heard and, and grown up the way he did, and sit there in that prison going, all right, this wasn't in the script, is any of this even true? then that's going to happen to you. Now, with that context, what I want to talk about is how do you deal with it? How do you deal with the times that you come into where you start going, is this even true, and do I really believe this, and I'm tired of this, and I'm just not sure I even want to do this anymore. I'm not even sure I want to read the Bible. I'm not even sure if God exists. I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure I meant that decision. I'm not sure I want to keep that decision. You surrender your life. You... You, you know, you were called to ministry. I'm not sure that's real. I look back, I, I, was that even real? I was in seventh grade. I was in tenth grade. I'm not even sure I meant that. I'm not even sure about that any of this is even real. So I wrote a list here. First list is things we doubt. Things that we doubt. And I, I, you could probably make the list longer. You could probably add some things from your own heart. These are the things that I've doubted over the years. <coughs> Excuse me. Number one thing I wrote down is salvation. We doubt our salvation. And it goes like this, you know, am I really saved? What if I'm not saved? What if I'm not saved and I die? Man, I could go to hell. Uh, if we go a level, level deeper, it could be, um, did I, what if I didn't mean it when I prayed? How do I know I meant it? No, it's not for me. I don't, I don't know. Uh, how do I know that, you know, when I prayed, I remember praying a prayer. How do I know that I even understood it? And what if I didn't mean it? What if I just thought I only meant it? What if I didn't say the right words? 
you know, what if I said, dear Jesus, come into my heart, and what he really wanted me to say was, dear Jesus, I'm trusting you as my Savior. And we start doubting, you know, salvation. Second thing I wrote down is we doubt God's truth or God's word. We doubt God's word. So, you know, we hear things like, uh, blessed are the pure in heart. So we, we, we kneel at an altar and say, dear Lord, purify my heart. I want to have a right heart with you. And then we get up Monday morning and we expect the blessings to fall. And I didn't get a new car today. And so is that really true? Is God's word really true? I mean, is this word really true? Is it just a book of letters and books that were written and kind of compiled by religious people? And is it, you know, is it really true or is it just something that's kind of been forced on me? And is it just tradition and stories and mythology and, you know, real extreme stories of, of uh, overactive imaginations from 3,000 years ago? Or is it really true? So we doubt God's truth or God's word. Third thing I wrote down is we doubt good decisions. We doubt good decisions. Oh, you've come down to an altar at the time and you've said, you know what, I'm really convicted that that music is wrong and I'm going to give it up. And for a little while, you, you know, you did the right thing and you feel real good about the decision and you experience a momentary, maybe a week or two or a month or two of victory where, yeah, you can, you're thinking more clearly and your heart and your attitude change and and you're doing better, but then you look at your friends, and they're still into it, and your neighbors are still into it, and you start hearing a song you really like at the mall or at Walmart, and uh, all of a sudden you start to go, is it really that big of a deal? I mean, maybe, maybe I just changed because, you know, my mind thought the music was, maybe it's just not that big of a deal, I can really be happy, and get back into that music, and, and, and you know, I really kind of do miss it anyway, and my friends sure seem to be happy, and I just don't think it's all that important like they preach it. And I, I'm just not sure that I even really believe that. And you doubt a good decision that you made. I've talked to, if I've talked to one, I've talked to 300 teenagers in the last 10 years that at some point came down and said, I really want to serve God in ministry. I really believe that God's called me to serve him. And that may have been in 7th grade or 10th grade, but somewhere around 11th or 12th, they start to go, uh, I don't know. I'm just not sure. I was young. There's a lot I didn't know then. Now that message, it was a, that was a, a really, he was really preaching and yelling and screaming and, you know, it was really impacting me. But I just wondered, was, maybe it was all emotion. Maybe I didn't really even get it. Maybe, you know, I just kind of did that because my friends were and I just wanted everybody to think I was, you know, good. And I wanted everybody to be impressed with me and to be proud of me. And they start, and man, when you start to take that, it's like the devil hangs out some bait and goes, are you sure you're called to ministry? Are you sure you're saved? Are you sure that music really is wrong? Are you sure the Bible's really true? And, and it's like bait just dangling in front of you. And we grab it, and we start thinking and chewing on it. Yeah, well, you know, I, I was 12 when I did that. And I, 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 now I'm 18, now I'm 16, and I'm not really sure that I really believe all that I believed back then. A lot's changed. I've learned a lot. I don't think the way I used to think. And all of a sudden, man, I mean, the devil just, and he's sitting there almost silently going, yeah, 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 keep, run with it, run with it. And it's almost like a fisherman's got you on, got a fish on the line, he's letting him run with the line, you know, before he jerks it. Sometimes you do that with a fish. You want that bait to get weighed, with big fish especially. You want the bait to be swallowed. You don't want to just hook them by the eye, you know, because if they're big, it'll just break the line or break their skin and they'll just swim off. But if they swallow it and it gets all down into their stomach and then you jerk it, boy, that hook is now deep into them. I mean, it's way down inside. And they're not getting away. And that's what the devil kind of lets you do. He lets you, with these doubts, he dangles them in front of you and he plays with you. And he lets you take the bait and he lets you swim with it for a while. And lets you reason through it. Lets, you, lets your psyche just kind of chew on it. And then, a year or two or five or ten, shoom, he's going to jerk it. And now he's got you. Now he's got you on the line. If you've read Discover Your Destiny, I, I told a story in that book about a man named Don. He was a member of our church for many years good friend of mine. Remember we used to go golfing with him, Lance, when you were little? Remember him? Brother Sloan? Don Sloan? <coughs> One day Don, he was a crossing guard. You guys see these crossing guards around town. And he, he uh, I pulled over and, and stopped and talked to him while he was at his crossing guard post and he started crying. Just all in the middle of God and everybody and kids across the streets and stuff. He's standing there crying. 
And I thought he was going to tell me he was going to had cancer or he di- was dying or something like that. He was 78 or something. And, and uh, I, I thought, man, he's got some trial. And I put my arm around him and said, Brother Don, what's wrong? Is, there, is, is everything okay? And long story short, he pulls, he couldn't talk. He was, he was so overwhelmed with emotion. He pulls his wallet. He's 78. pulls his wallet out and flips through his wallet and pulls out a, an laminated card. It's a little miniature certificate, like a high school diploma, only reduced. And it says, we do hereby ordain Curtis Don Sloan into the gospel ministry of Jesus Christ. And it was from a Baptist church in Long Beach from 1940-something. Late 1930s or 1940s, I forget the year. And he choked back the tears and he said, that's why I'm crying. And I said, I looked at that. I looked at him. And Don never, Don was in, never in the ministry. He worked in aerospace his whole life. He worked on airplanes and eventually worked on the space shuttle and helped put the thing together and build it out here at Plant 42. And I'm reading, and it didn't connect with me for a minute. I'm reading a, an ordination certificate. I'm looking at him going, I don't get why you're crying. And then it hit me, wait. Don never went into the ministry. He was in the Navy, and then he was in aerospace, and then he worked on the space shuttle, and he's had two marriages, and kids by his first marriage. And then he could finally, as I'm putting this all together in my mind, he says, that's why I'm crying. He said, I surrendered my life to the ministry when I was in high school. But by the time I was 18, I began to doubt that, and I got hooked up with a girl, and I I went into the Navy, and I married a girl, and I ended up later divorcing her. He said... Carrie, I just got further and further and further and further away from my call. He just ran with the bait. He took those doubts, and the devil let him run with it. And, you know, I don't know, I don't know when it hit him. I don't know if he was 30 or 35 or 40 or 45, but eventually the devil, eventually the devil said, enough line, enough, I'm going to snap the bait now, and boom, he jerked it, and all of a sudden, Don realized, I did the wrong thing. I allowed my doubts to take me way off course from what God intended me to do. So you doubt good decisions. And everybody here, everybody here, if you're honest, you've doubted your salvation. You've wondered if the word of God is true. You've doubted good decisions that you've made in the past, especially when they get hard to keep or when you fail at keeping them. Some of you made a decision at, at winter retreat and you've already failed or you will fail to keep it or you'll, you'll trip up. And, and instead of getting back up and kind of dusting yourself off and keep pressing forward in your decision, you'll just go, oh, I probably didn't mean it. And you'll doubt that decision. Next thing I wrote down is life's direction. Or you could just put down my calling. How many of you, just out of, just out of curiosity, sitting here right now, how many of you believe in your life, I mean, you really believe as of this moment that God wants you to serve him in the ministry? Raise your hand. I mean, if you mean it, put your hand up. And I'm not, if your hand's not up, you're, you're as good a person as anybody else in here. I'm just curious. I'm going to tell you, you can put your hands down. I'm telling you something. Devil's, devil's coming after that decision. He's not going to go, oh, they decided to go into ministry. I'll just give up. No, 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 no. He wants you to come to a moment when you're 18 or 16 or 20 where you go, maybe this isn't really for me. Maybe I didn't really mean that. Maybe it was all emotion. And we do. We doubt our life's direction and our call. And is this right? And by the way, it's not just in high school that you doubt that. I know adults all over the planet that ask themselves, am I doing the right thing? I guarantee you, Clark and Rachel Graham have asked themselves a hundred times in the last year, are we really supposed to be here? Is this really what God wants us to do? Oh, no. He doesn't come back from deputation and go, well, God's been good to us when we haven't been doubting. I mean, it's not like you get up and broadcast your doubts. I mean, John didn't get up and preach before he baptized John. I'm pretty sure that's the Lamb of God. I'm not quite sure, but I think you guys should believe it. No, you don't get up and and take your doubts public. That's stuff you wrestle with inside. We, We doubt our life. Am I really supposed to be doing this? Say, Brother Schmidt, are you telling me that, that you, like, in 18 years, you have asked yourself that question? Am I really supposed to be here at Lancaster Baptist Church? Am I really supposed to be a youth pastor? Am I really supposed to? Yeah, plenty of times. Plenty of times. Every time I get out of one of these long days, Brother Salazar, you know, where everybody's being bad, you know, 
and you're all writing curse words on each other's foreheads, and you're all handing out rap music to each other at the lockers, and you've all got bad pictures on your cell phones, not all of you, but you, you know what, I'm, it feels like all of them when we're dealing with three, you know, and, and or every day I call, you know, when, it's like one or two days a year I spend my day doing this, okay, you come to my office, okay, he said this, she said this, what say you, okay, then, okay you sit here, okay, now, now bring another one in, okay, he said this, she said this, what did you you know, and getting all these stories straight, boy, when those days are over, I'm like, somebody just give me a gun, I want to go to heaven right now. And the devil jumps on my shoulder and goes, first of all, these kids hate your guts. That's just number one. How's that feel? And I'm like, wonderful. I mean, how does it feel, Carrie? And this is what the devil says. Carrie, how does it feel to wake up every day and have to talk to people and call them into your office and talk to parents and, and you know they just hate your guts? Oh, that's what I just long to do with my life every day when I was a teenager. Yes, it stinks. And then, not only that, but now they're all, you've ruined their lives, and you've ruined their parents' lives, and they're crying, and they're, and they're suspended, or they're expelled, and, and oh, isn't this just wonderful? Isn't this just everything you always thought the ministry would be? And I'm like, no, this stinks. And I kind of feel like, I think John the Baptist felt when he was sitting in that prison. This wasn't in my script. But Salazar, before God, the honest truth, I never in my, any of my imaginations of youth ministry imagined sitting in an office talking to a kid about, you know, if this is true, you're going to get expelled. I never, never imagined that. Never had that enter my mind one time. No, my imaginations were all like, let's pray together at teen camp, you know, let's make good decisions. And <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> i got to stop smoking. <coughs> my imaginations were, you know, seeing you guys grow up and making good memories. And, you know, like we did at Disneyland the other day, and everybody kind of being friends and having a good time. And that's just kind of what I thought. So, yeah, there's been plenty of times I'm going, am I really supposed to do this? Maybe I'm the wrong guy. There's been lots of times in the last few years I've been like, I'm a miserable failure. I, I just need to stop doing this and let somebody else do it who can do a good job. So we doubt our life's direction. Fifthly, <coughs> we doubt our major commitments. We doubt our major commitments. Now I want you to think of a major commitment that you've made. Again, it might be a ministry call. It might be a decision to serve on a bus route or, or to help in a ministry. It might be your Strive commitment. And right about now with Strive, you're going, oh, man, we're only, we're only 13 days away, and I still owe $9,000. And I know I'm not going to find that in my mom's purse. <coughs> and all of a sudden, here it is. You were sitting there on January 3rd or whatever the day it was, with a card and saying, Lord, what, what would I like to do? And you wrote it down. The Holy Spirit led you and you wrote a number down. Your heart was soft. You were desiring to do something. And let's say you wrote down $200 and between then and now, you've been able to give a whole $2.50 of it. So you're only owe $197.50. And you're, you're starting to scratch your head and go, should I really have even done that? I mean, it, does that really even mean it? Does, does it even matter? I mean, does really, does my $197.50 matter? Is it really going to change the world? And you start to doubt your commitment. Or maybe it goes a little deeper than your strive. Maybe it's, you know, I committed, I committed to be pure, but good night, everybody in the world is telling me to have safe sex. And my parents, I know they're all opposed to it. And I know Brother Schmidt, I know Pastor, but come, is it really that big of a deal? seems like everybody else is having a good time. And you start to really start to question and doubt your commitment. Oh, this one's one. You know what we doubt? We doubt other people's love. You ever wake up and go, I know everybody hates me. <clears throat> or is it just me? <clears throat> Maybe it's just teenagers. I don't know. I've heard people say, I don't have any friends in my whole class. I, nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I guess I'm just going to go eat. You guys are so predictable. <clears throat> I came to chapel saying today, I'm going to make them say the word worms. No. You doubt. You seriously. You, I know you. your parents get on to you, but Salazar gets on to you. We ride your case a little bit, and you start to go, they don't care. I guarantee you most people in this room have said this. I don't think my parents even understand how I feel. I don't think anybody even gets it. I don't think they even care how I feel. 
and you doubt whether other people really care about you and love you, whether they're really interested in, in you. <clears throat> I had an appointment this past week, and the young lady said to me, you don't really care about me. Yeah, I really do. Apparently, I haven't communicated to you the way you were expecting to be communicated, but I really, really do. And I apologize, but those doubts. We doubt other people's love. Here's a big one, and this one doesn't come to you when you first think about doubts, but this one every one of you wrestles with. We doubt the sincerity of our own heart. I've kind of alluded to it, but it's this. <clears throat> I didn't really mean that. I didn't really. Eh, I was just caught up in the moment. I made this drive commitment, but I, I don't really care about that. And all of a sudden, the devil starts to go, come on, be real. That's not really you. That's not who you are. Or you make a decision. Maybe you've made a decision to spend time with God. And so you, uh, you get to school a little bit early. You, you, you grab a corner of a, of a park bench or a, a table, and you open your Bible, and you start to read. And in all sincerity, you're trying to keep your decision and really trying to hear from God. And one of your buddies who heard you tell a dirty joke last week or knows you were listening to trash music three months ago walks by and goes, oh, brother, that's not really you. And all of a sudden, he's right. Who am I trying to kid? I mean, really. Who am I trying to pretend to be? And you doubt the sincerity of your own heart. If you could rewind the tape and go back to that moment where you made that decision, your heart was as real and genuine and sincere as it possibly could have been. You couldn't have been any more genuine. But in the moment of peer pressure, or in the moment of stress or trial, did I really mean that? And all of a sudden, you, you bring into question your own heart. Brother Fisher, Brother Fisher alluded to it in his message when he said, your heart can condemn you. You guys remember that message? The Bible says, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Your heart has the ability to accuse you. You didn't really mean that. That's not really who you are. And I believe it all ties together with imagination and with the, the principalities and powers that we wrestle against. I believe the devil comes along and says, you didn't really mean that. And all of a sudden, we buy into that. We doubt the sincerity of our own heart. Now, number two, I want you to write this down. Why do we doubt? How many of you can read that list and go, yeah, I, that, I connect with that one pretty good. Is it just me, or do you guys wrestle with those kinds of doubts too? Raise your hand if you wrestle with those kinds of doubts. I feel better already. <clears throat> Why do we doubt? Okay. I give you four. <clears throat> I give you four, and I, it's really hard for me to tell you in the moment why you're doubting. This is something that God has to tell you. But four reasons I think we doubt. Number one is when we're struggling with sin. When we're struggling with sin. The devil, you, why? Because the devil's an accuser. And he uses our sin against us to tell us this. Here's the way the thought process goes. You, you junior hires with me? I'm talking a little bit above your age group right now, but I think you can raise up the bar and join us up here. You guys still awake? Okay. Here's the thought process. <clears throat> you make a decision or you have a desire to do right. And by the way, that is the best evidence that you're saved. Paul says in Romans 7, it's not I, but sin in me. Okay, so he draws a distinction between who you really are and who the, what the sin in you is. And he says, I, I would do good things, basically. In, in about eight or ten verses, he says, he basically says, I've got these desires in my heart to do good things, but a lot of times I don't do the things I'm supposed to, and I do the things I'm not supposed to. So in other words, you made a decision that would retreat to spend more time with God, but you were really, really tired last night and today, and so you haven't yet today. And so there's a conflict now <clears throat> between what you want to do and what you desire to do and what you decided you would do and what you've actually done. And the devil says, you didn't mean that because if you really meant it, you would have done it. And since you haven't spent time with God yet today, then that was fake. And that whole 
decision you made, you just can throw it all out and doubt the whole process because if it were real, you wouldn't be having the struggle you're having with this sin. You could go to teen camp or winter retreat or youth conference and make a decision to honor your parents, come home, apologize to your parents for your wrong attitude, hug them, tell them how much you love them, and within two days, you're probably going to have a conflict with them. You're probably going to say something you shouldn't say. You're probably going to cop an attitude you shouldn't have had. And that sin, the devil's going to use. Now, now, let me time out for a minute. I'm not excusing the sin. I'm saying he wants to use the fact that you failed in a wrong way against you. What's the Bible solution for sin? It's not doubting. It's not condemning your own heart. It's not even experiencing the condemnation of God. The Bible pattern of dealing with sin is you confess it and you deal with it. In other words, you go back to your mom and dad and say, you know, that's not who I really am. Who I really am wants to respect you and wants to obey you and honor you. And I'm sorry for what I just said because that's not my heart. That was sin. It was wrong. It's not my heart. The devil doesn't want you to do that. The devil doesn't want you to think that way. He wants, you to, take, he wants to take the sin and say to you before you think, wait, I sinned, I'm going to make it right because that's not real. That's not who I am. The devil wants to flip it around and say, no, that's who you really are. You just backtalked your parents, and you made a decision two days ago not to do that and to love them and honor them, and now you failed, and, and you sinned, and that's who you really are. You're really a disrespectful, wicked, sinful wretch who's trying to be good. And the Bible says, no, 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 no. You are a saved child of God who is still struggling with sin. Two different perspectives. So a lot of times the devil uses our struggles and, and if you were this, if you were really saved, you wouldn't think that way, or you wouldn't wrestle with this, or you wouldn't this. And he uses our sin against us. Secondly, he uses, or, or why we doubt, trials and hardship. <clears throat> trials and hardship. Man, you're cruising along, and you're doing well, and you've got a good attitude, and everything's going well, and you studied hard for your test, and you try to do your best to remember that assignment, and you get into class, and you realize you forgot to bring it, and your teacher gets mad at you, and then you fail the test. And you're going, you you enter into a difficult trial or a difficult burden that's heavy on you and you start to go, why am I even trying? And the fact that you've entered into a trial, just like John the Baptist, you start to go, does any of this even matter? And is it even real? And is it even true? And did I even mean it? And all of a sudden the trial brings you into a time where you start to doubt. Number three, I wrote this down, discouragement discouragement. You might write the word weariness or depletion. Some of you are discouraged today. There's a lot of reasons why we get discouraged. You know, you know one of the major reasons we get discouraged? We get real tired. You guys came away Friday. You ran around like wild banshees all day at Disneyland. I mean, you went nuts. You guys were absolutely totally insane at Disneyland. Wearing hats you'd never wear anybody else, anywhere else. Saying stuff, doing stuff you'd never do anywhere else. You know, I mean, you're just acting like total lunatics in the love of Christ <laughs> to the glory of God, right? And, and while you're doing that, you're, guess what you're doing? You're wearing yourself out. I mean, you were absolutely expending every bit of energy you had. Laughing, how many would say, I laughed more Friday and Saturday than I've laughed in a month? Raise your hand. Yeah, that's great. That's cool. That's wonderful. But you know what it does? If all you did, if you didn't do anything else, if all you did was get on a bus and laugh, you expended a whole lot of energy. I mean, you realize how much energy it takes to laugh? All the muscle in your face, all the muscle in your abdomen. I mean, and some of you use your arms and stuff when you laugh. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like aerobics when you laugh. I'm telling you, here's what you did. All day Friday, all day Friday, you expended energy, expended energy, expended energy, and then you really worked to stay awake and listen during the preaching, and you were really, really tired. And then you got up, went and got your breakfast bag with your Slim Jim, and <laughs> that's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. Breakfast bags with Slim Jim and cheddar cheese. Happy breakfast. Um, and you got your lug- luggage, and you went up the elevator, and you went to your room, and you expended lots more energy. And you la- How many of you laughed when you got to your hotel room? Yeah. And you expended more energy, and some of you stayed awake too late and expending, and didn't, and you didn't rest. Or if you did, it was a very short night's rest. And you're up at, you know, your parents on Saturday mornings are like, 
kicking and screaming at 11.30 a.m. trying to get you out of bed. It's lunchtime. Get out of bed. And here you are on winter retreat, 6 a.m. Bing. Let's go to the exercise room. Let's run around the hallway screaming. Let's do something. You know, eating your powdered donuts and your Slim Jim. And you came in to the sessions, and we listened for two hours in sessions, and, and then you got on a bus, and you laughed all the way home, and you laughed at the block while you were eating, and you talked and talked, and you expended all this energy. And, and was it you, George, that was telling me yesterday how tired you were? I said, George, you have a good time on retreat? He said, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. I said, did you sleep? He goes, yeah, but I'm still tired. Some of you are tired right now this morning, still from morning retreat. Some of your teachers have been looking at your faces this morning going, what drugs did they give you on this retreat? What were you smoking on the bus on the way home? You're tired. And some of you didn't go to one retreat and you're going, I feel great. You know. <laughs> Listen, but here's, here's where I'm going with this. Some of you woke up Sunday morning and you felt like you had been in a train wreck. Your body ached. You felt like it was a chore even to take a breath. And you're like, I don't want to go to church. My head hurts. Some of you girls, your jaw hurts. It was moving so fast all the last two days. All the guys said, yeah. And, and, you, and your parents dragged you out of bed and threw you in the shower, or however they do it. You finally forced yourself against all of your fleshly desires. You forced your body to get ready for church. You drug your carcass to Sunday school. You sat through church fighting to stay awake. How many of you went home yesterday afternoon and crashed? Look at it. <laughs> Look at this. I am talking truth right now. I'm right on your level. You crashed, but listen. Stay with me. When you woke up at 3.30 or 4.30 or 5, you didn't want to get up. You were groggy. You know how when you get in one of those deep, deep, kind of like stupor sleeps, you know, and you're kind of awake, and you're kind of, and you're like, whoa, what's today? Is today Sunday? Did I go to church today? When you're really exhausted, even if you take an hour nap, you, it, you go into this deep, comatose sleep, you know, where you wake up, and you're, you're literally, it takes you an hour to wake up. Your brain is just foggy until you wake up. So some of you came in at 5.30 last night for church, and all the way through church. You know, we're at Lord's table, and you're like, what am I supposed to do with this priest? You know, am I supposed to be remembering something right now? Because I'm really, really tired. But let me tell you what accompanied that exhaustion. Some of you all day yesterday felt discouraged. Felt discouraged. And I don't know if you would even have called it discouragement, but you felt down. And you probably were going, why do I feel this way? Because... I really had a great time Friday, and I made some good decisions, and I had a great time Saturday and made some good decisions, and today I just feel, I just feel like I got stepped on by a herd of elephants. I don't want to go to church. I want to crash at home. I don't have a good attitude. My brain is just, in, it's just foggy, and I don't get it. What's wrong with me? Because I'm supposed to be right with God right now. Why do I feel this way? And, and what I'm telling you right now is purely due to your physical exhaustion. But the devil comes along and goes, and here's exactly what he does. It wasn't real. You didn't mean those decisions. You were faking it. Because if it was real, you'd feel better than you do right now. And some of you bought, bought that yesterday. Some of you thought, and some of you already gave up on your winter retreat decisions because of how you felt yesterday, and you never stopped one time to think, I'm just tired. I don't need to doubt anything. I'll feel better in a couple days when I catch up. Girls, listen, please. I don't need to doubt. I don't need to go there. I meant those things, and I'll feel better in a couple days. You know when I feel that way? I feel that way, too. I don't feel that way today. I did yesterday, because after I got back from winter retreat, I did premarital counseling for three couples for, for six hours. I talked on my feet for six hours straight. Last Saturday night, I went home going, good night, I am fried. But I feel that way more deeply after, after teen camp, after leadership conference, after a musical, uh, after anything that uh, uh, spring banquet kills me. I don't know why. I, uh, but all day getting ready, and then the banquet, and then staying up late, and then all day the next day at Disneyland, staying out late with the senior class, 
I mean, the next day I'm just fried. And when I was your age and that stuff would happen to me, or when I was 22 or 23 and young in the ministry and that happened to me, I'd go, man, what's wrong with my attitude? Why am I struggling this way? And now I'm 39 and I just realized that just happens. I get tired. So after the leadership conference, I crash. And I know I'm going to have this emotional discouragement that just hits me. It's like the adrenaline just is gone. And I know that after a few days, I'm going to feel pretty good. And I go back to the Lord and I restore my heart and my soul with him. But I don't start going nuts with my doubts. So personal weariness or discouragement. And then lastly, why we doubt. And this is kind of a longer phrase, okay? When bad things happen because I did something right. When bad things happen because I did something right. John the Baptist was preaching and doing what God wanted him to do, and he, because he did something right, he went to jail and got his head cut off. That's a bad day. Don't you think, Joe? That's a real bad day. You know, for the girls here, it's like, oh, I broke a nail. John the Baptist got his head cut off because he did something right. And you know, sometimes... Most of the time when you do something right, good things result. But there's some times where you do something right. You decide to do something right. Your heart's all into it. You're totally committed to God about it. I mean, you are 100% on board, and you're just sure God's going to bless you because Brother Schmidt and Brother Salazar and all your teachers and everybody else in your life has said, if you'll do this, God will bless you. And you do it. And you're all psyched up. Man, what is God going to do for me? And the next day, something like a comet from outer space just crashes into your bedroom or something. I mean, just absolutely, totally unpredictable, off the chart, this was not even supposed to happen, comes at you. And you sit back and go, that's what I get for doing something good? (laughs) Brother Schmidt, that's how God blesses? And the devil jumps on your shoulder and says, well, good night. If that's God's blessing, that's the kind of God you don't need. And you start to doubt, and everything comes into question because you did something right, and something bad happened. Some of you are going to give your offering on March the 9th. You're going to stand up there on the platform as part of the youth group, give the offering, and Monday, the devil's going to punch you in the gut with something bad, some, something, some bad news, something you didn't expect. And, and the very first thought you're going to have is, I just gave. I just honored the Lord with my offering, and that's the thanks I get? That's how God's going to take care of me? And suddenly doubts happen. Now, number three, and we're almost done. What do you do when you doubt? You ready? You guys feel like you're normal now because you're like, okay, everybody doubts. We're all good. John the Baptist doubted. I can doubt too. But it's very important that you do the right thing with your doubts. What did John the Baptist do when he doubted? We just read it in this chapter. Huh? He sent his disciples to who? To Jesus. Okay? Thomas, when he doubted, Jesus came right to him and dealt with his doubts. Here, put your hands there. Go to God. Number one, go to God. God, I am really struggling with doubts. I'm questioning my salvation. I'm questioning a good decision. I'm questioning my direction. I'm questioning you. I'm questioning your word. Do you exist? Is this real? If John the Baptist could go to Jesus and say, are you even who I think you are? Hey, best friend. Hey, cousin. Hey, guy that I've been preaching about, that I heard God talk about. Are you really who you say you are, or is this all a joke? I mean, really, have you been lying to me all these years? Have you been putting on? Are you really not as perfect as, you, as I thought you were? You know what he's really doing? He's kind of indirectly accusing Jesus of lying and concocting some way to have a voice come out of heaven. He's really kind of indirectly going, are you a fraud? 
And if Jesus could handle that from John the Baptist, he can handle it from you. So you take your doubts to God. Secondly, what did Jesus do to John the Baptist? Did he, did he send him back and say, you know what, you tell John the Baptist to shut up or I'm going to chop his head off. Is that what he said? No. He said, go tell John about all the good things that are happening. So here it is. Remember what God has done for you. You know what kills my doubts about as quickly as they happen? Remembering. Just stepping back for a minute and remembering. Hey, are you sure you're supposed to be at Lancaster Baptist Church? You sure that you're not supposed to be somewhere else serving God? And I just have to step back and I go, you know what, Satan, I'll answer that question in just a minute. Let me think about it. And I just start to think. And I remember when Pastor Temple came and I was on the moving truck and I remember all the stuff that happened and I remember all the ways the devil fought. And I remember going to Bible college and talking to him on the phone. And I remember coming back in the summer times and going soul with him and painting the church. And I remember meeting Brother Lofter at A&W one night. And I remember meeting uh, the Joneses. And I remember meeting all these people. And I remember coming here and knowing that God led me here and being absolutely 100% sure of it. And about right there I go, I don't even have to think about the, the past 18 years or the past 17 years. I just stop right there and go, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's where I'm supposed to be. And, if, and I could continue. I could go year number one, year number two, year number three, year number four, all the way for 18 years. I could think about all the good blessings and all the people that have been, their lives have been changed and all the teenagers that grew up in the youth group and, and are serving the Lord and being faithful to God today and all the victories and all the salvations. And I could, and I could just go on and on and on. And, and in the mountain, in this huge universe of blessings and answers to prayer and incredible things, I just go, what a stupid, 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 stupid question what a silly thought i just remember what god did and the minute you start doubting the minute you start thinking about your salvation or your call or is god really real or just start thinking about all the things god's done for you and you're going to come back to the devil with that question and go that is the dumbest question i could possibly ever think number four three i'm sorry number three remember that god is sometimes silent Remember that God is sometimes silent. You know, I wonder how long John stayed in prison before he finally got up the courage to send somebody to Jesus. I wonder how long it took them to get to Jesus and get back before John actually heard from Jesus. And you know what? Sometimes God's going to be that way in your life. Sometimes he's going to send you into a week or into a month or into a few months where it seems like he just shut the door to heaven, hung the phone up, and isn't answering any of your prayers, and isn't responding to any of your desires or requests, and you're going, hey, God, what happened to you? And he's just not answering. He did that with the nation of Israel for several hundred years, between Malachi and Matthew. He just does that. He's God. He can do it. He's sometimes silent. <clears throat> Number four, cast out the doubt and stand on truth. There's a little skill you need to learn. It's just like riding, or riding a bike, or shooting a basketball, or casting a fishing lure, or shooting a gun. It's a skill. Okay? The Bible call it's in it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. Okay? And it is this: casting down what? You don't have to turn there. We've got to go to lunch. You guys are hungry. Casting down what? Imaginations. It's the ability. Here we go. Watch. <clears throat> Kyle, stand up over here. Let's let this pen, you guys with me? Let's let this pen represent doubt. Okay? And let's let Kyle represent the devil. And he's going to toss me a doubt. But, and this is my imagination he's throwing it into. Okay? But this is as real this happens to you as real as it's going to happen to me right now with this pen representing it, okay? The devil concocts the doubt, hold the pen up, and he knows just how to throw it into my imagination, okay? So toss it to me. And I catch it, and I go, oh, a doubt. And this doubt is, I wonder if I'm saved, or if I wonder if I'd met that when I made that decision, or whatever your doubt is. And I have a choice. In that moment, the minute it, it comes to me, I can either accept it, or I can cast it down. So let's try this again. Okay? 
if I'm going to wrestle with doubt forever and ever and ever, here's, here's my pattern is going to be this. Come on, just toss it, man. We're not pitching. Here we go. Oh. Oh. He's not real. Oh. And we, and we take our doubts, and sometimes we treat them like little puppies, like, like Easter bunnies, you know. Oh, it's precious to me. I'm going to carry it around. I love my doubt. I'm going to feed it. I'm going to nurture it. I'm going to cherish it. I'm going to name it. Dan the doubt. You're doing the wrong thing with your doubt. Okay, here, try it again. This is uh, what if I'm not saved doubt. Toss it to me. What if I'm not saved? Ooh, oh, good night. No way. I know I'm saved. That's a stupid thought. Okay, throw me another one. Throw me, uh, let's see, what if Dana's not the right girl for you, Dow? Ooh, 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 no, that one's definitely wrong. I, I cannot even, that's not even going to be in my pocket. I'm not going to name that one. That's not a doubt I'm even going to spend time thinking about. That's a stupid thought. Dana's the right girl for me. Uh, what if, what if, uh, what if, what if you're doing the wrong thing with your life? What if you're really supposed to be a cruise director on a cruise ship and you're a youth pastor? What if? Throw me that doubt. Throw me that doubt. Cruise director, no, I know I'm doing what God wants me to do. And you've got to, okay, illustrations, points made. You can be seated. You've got to cast it down. Cast it down. 